Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today, uh, we have a special guest joining us to preview the season. Uh, it is Jeff Fayette from thefaceoffcircle.ca. Jeff, uh, how's it going? Thank you so much for joining us. Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, excited to be on. Yeah, uh, you're someone I think we've, we've tried to get on a couple times and just scheduling hasn't worked out. So I'm super excited to uh, have you on. And for anyone who's wondering what we're doing today, uh, obviously Chase and I have previewed every division over the past four weeks. But uh, today I figured it'd be a great time to um, just go through different narratives we're excited to, to kind of uh, watch unfold this year and talk about. Um, you know, uh, I have a bunch written down and I'm sure we'll just free flow from there as well. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I can just uh, get us started with one here. And uh, I think the biggest one I want to know with is how is the NHL going to deal with a COVID situation? You know, a bit of a bleaker spot on the season. But, um, you know, if, if games start getting postponed, like we've already seen Dallas and and there's a bunch of games, how are they going to deal with it? Are they going to try and reschedule it if it gets to too many at the same time? What are they going to do? Um, well, what are your guys' thoughts on their COVID protocol so far and, um, you know, opinions on what they should do going forward? It's, it's going to be a lot tougher uh, than, than the bubble was. And I think we already have a very good example of that in the NBA. Uh, you see how with them, they had they, they, they took the same route. They did the bubble in the playoffs, and they're going to be having their own teams uh, in their own cities, Toronto playing in Tampa notwithstanding. And they're having their issues with players uh, having positive tests, going through the protocols, having to, uh, having to postpone games. And that's where it's going to start getting really tricky, especially with the, uh, the overlap of stadiums and all that. Um, at what point uh, does it throw too much of a wrench into broadcast deals and to overlapping who's got to play in each stadium? Uh, it's tremendously difficult for a virus like this uh, that we still, unfortunately, don't seem to have much control of. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, um, uh, yeah, you, the, the NBA is a great thing uh, you mentioned. And I think with the NHL, they have a bit of an advantage because they're taxi squad and they're trying to plan against it, where in the NBA, it, it's, you think they would have the advantage because it's such small rosters, but the problem with that is if five guys get it on your small roster, you're screwed, right? And we've seen a bunch of, um, with the NBA so far, it's a lot of contact tracing, and they're just trying to make sure no one has it, but that's uh, that's ended up with two to three games pretty much a night being canceled. But um, the, the one thing the NBA's done better, I thought, than the NHL, or not, not better, just different, is they only uh, released half their schedule. So they have the advantage to push it back a week or two if they need to, and, and when they release the second half of their schedule here and um you know the, the nhl released their full 56 games in i think it was 112 days so uh you know unless they want to push if it gets to the point where say 20 <clears throat> sorry 25 teams need to uh uh schedule games again uh, you know i don't know if they want to push the season too far but it'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out yeah, I, I mean, I had heard at first that they were going to do the same thing with the staggered release of the schedule, but maybe it's because of what they had seen uh, happening already. They wanted to make sure they had dates reserved uh, for the sake of what happens if the NBA needs to postpone. They needed to make sure they had uh, games available to them. Uh, it, obviously, it's a, it, it could be a, pro a problem going later into the year, especially if you're getting more like three and threes, four and fives. Uh, that's going to be a wear on the players that goes uh, beyond the COVID protocols. You're going to start having players who uh, are going to get injured from the wear and tear, and that'll cut into your roster in other ways. So it's going to be a really, really tricky balance for them to measure. I wouldn't be surprised if it got to a point where 
uh, possibly they have to clip out parts of the schedule uh, entirely towards the end, and this ends up being less than a 56-game uh, season. Now, I don't think there's a guarantee of that, but I don't think they would rule it out if uh, if it got to that point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Chase, do you have any uh, thoughts or opinions on that? No, I think it was smart to leave themselves like the other half of the schedule. Like you look at the NFL, they put themselves in a lot of really, really dicey situations with trying to run the classic like 17 week season or whatever. Whereas you have guys testing positive like four minutes before game time and they're still running the games. Whereas at least with they gave themselves more room for contingency plans this way. Yeah, for sure. And the NFL definitely has more of a benefit here too, right? Like uh, one one game a week is a lot easier to reschedule than three, four, five, you know? So um, definitely see where it goes. Uh, what uh, Jeff, what, what was one thing? Is there anything that you're really looking forward to keeping an eye on this year? Uh, I mean, it's going to be just a wacky season in general. I love the idea of uh, division-only play. Um obviously it's it's born out of necessity in this case but there's so much room now for teams to have to adjust to each other's uh, system specifically it's not going to be just a reliance on on talent winning out and i'm usually a guy who who prefers it that way who just wants to see the best teams kind of do their thing but i wonder what comes out of this from a strategical standpoint from a game planning standpoint um and how and how teams are going to be able to get into each other's heads under each other's skin. Uh, especially, I mean, we're already seeing it in the Canadian division in these first couple of games. Everyone's already kind of trying to set the tone against each other. Uh, we'll obviously see more of it tonight with the Leafs and the Sens um, having their first matchup of the year. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm looking forward to, like this whole all rivalry all the time. Um, we've seen similar to that. Uh, like I, I do a lot of American League stuff, obviously. So you, there are teams down there who already do the whole uh, facing each other 10, 12 times a season. And by the end of the year, they're just so aggravated with each other, but also so familiar with each other that the games become tense and close almost consistently. Uh, so that's uh, that, that to me is going to be uh, the most fun part of this year is is, is kind of having uh, having it constantly be rivalry night. Yeah, I think with the Canadian division especially, that should be just one of the best things to keep an eye on. And I said on Twitter yesterday, uh, I think Sportsnet's got to be one of the, you know, the big guys at Sportsnet probably have to be the happiest about this Canadian division because it's been no secret over the past couple of years that uh, uh, their ratings haven't been the greatest, you know, just in general. And so the fact that they can have the ability to promote every game they have as a rivalry, an all-Canadian matchup, and they, they're guaranteed to have a, a Canadian team go all the way to the Final Four. Granted, it'll just be one, but I, I think they will take that guarantee of it just being one. Um, you know, they've got to be happy. And um, also for me anyways, it, you know, we've already, we bring up football enough on this podcast, but I, I think the the three or four straight games against teams, I'm really interested to see if, you know, it'll end up being like a, a football coaching style thing where you can completely change your game plan week to week to depend on what team you're playing four times in a row, right? Like we see, we see teams in playoffs be able to, to really, uh, focus in on a team's weakness. I, I kind of wonder if that'll be something we see more in the regular season because they're playing uh, teams so many times in a row. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, having the taxi squad also plays to that benefit too, because then you can swap in player, uh, players that fit towards uh, different sorts of teams. Like I know uh, in Toronto, that's talked about a lot when it comes to their defenses. Sometimes, sometimes where they might need 
a bit of a more of a puck moving uh, presence, they can have a Miko Lettinen in the lineup. If they need more of a physical presence, Zach Bogosian can slip in. Uh, if they, they're worried more about gap control, that's a Travis Dermott night, so on and so forth. Uh, and other teams have that flexibility too with having extra forwards, defensemen, and even goaltenders in their uh, in their rotation as well. So uh, you might see teams just adjust not just their their X's and O's, but the roster itself uh, to go up against each other. There's going to be a lot of game theory at play uh, this year, and to me, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be uh, just something you know, especially for. Um, you know, maybe casual fans won't care as much or, or, you know, maybe they will, I don't know, but for people who really love the tactics aspect of hockey and not just, you know, casually watching a game, that'll definitely be just an added thing that we get to see this year that, uh, I don't know if we'll really get to see again, honestly, unless, you know, they change the schedule a bit more. So, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the other thing I wanted to bring up was, um, uh, you know, some of the divisions and just how things are going. And I guess the one I really want to talk about, um, you know, we're all from Canada. We all are going to focus on the Canadian division a lot, but um, I wanted to look at the East division and I want to ask both of your thoughts on just, is there a possibility we see one of the big, uh, I'm going to call them the big three uh, in the older teams in Pittsburgh, Washington, and Boston. Do you think there's a possibility we see any of those three fall off this year? Or do you think it's going to be playoffs as usual with all three of them? I'll let Chance go, uh, go first since uh, we've kind of left him out a little bit. I mean, obviously anything's possible in the 56-game season. Like, we uh, we saw the Leafs made the playoffs last time, and they were just abs- – in the last shortened season anyways, and they were just absolutely terrible. But I don't think this is the year any of those teams are done. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Uh, at the end of the day, yes, they um, they have a lot of older talent. Uh, and the age curve is not going to be in their favor. Same time, they also have a lot of that older talent. Uh, they 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 still have deep rosters. They so they they they're used to playing these intense series like situations. Uh, they have that playoff experience that they can kind of carry into this sort of regular season. And then you kind of look at the rest of the division and say, okay, well, who really uh, supplants them? You can say, okay, maybe the Rangers' young players make a push. Chesterkin might be. Uh, the goalie they need to play uh, the games that they need them to. Um, maybe the Islanders are able to have another uh, season where they where, where, where they punch above their weight. If they play like they did yesterday, then maybe that's a possibility. Um, there's little arguments for, uh, for all those teams, same for Philly, Buffalo, and New Jersey, but it doesn't feel like there's any one of them where you can f- say it with 100% confidence. Uh, I, I do think it's pretty likely that Boston and Pittsburgh uh, – remain at the top of that division. And I still think Washington's going to be well in that conversation. They looked really good last night against the, 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 the Sabres. Um, obviously just one game, but it, uh, but it shows you that they're, uh, that, that they're looking uh, to kind of reverse the tide from how they played in the bubble. Uh, so it's, it, it, again, anything can happen in these divisions. And I think that's the beauty of it. But in terms of the likeliness of it, I think we still see the big dogs eating uh, for a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I definitely don't disagree with either of you there. And, um, you know, I just brought it up because it's one of those things where, uh, especially with Washington, I feel like I'm personally someone who maybe he's not written them off, but uh, year after year it feels like, okay, this is the year where they take a step back and they become, you know, third or fourth in their division. They make the wild card and then they just run off. 20 games in a row where it's just a hot streak and they go and win the division like it's absolutely nothing. So I, I I don't know when that's coming, but you'd have to assume for a couple of these teams, eventually it'll come 
but like it just it hasn't shown, so there's almost no reason to to assume it's going to be here just yet. Right. Um, Although, no disagreement. Uh, there is like a chance that youth wins out even more than it otherwise would, given how the schedule might be condensed. Though, that's the one thing I could see working against these teams. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, the other thing I think you could be said though is if you have a really young team and and they get in a hole, you know, maybe midway through the year and they don't know how to dig themselves out of it, you know, that's going to be a lot more of a problem in a 56 game season versus an 82, but I can definitely see the wear and tear of uh this just aggressive of a season taking a, a toll on some older teams, but I, I think if you use your depth effectively and, you know, you rest guys, and, and that doesn't even have to mean, you know, like NBA load management, but uh, I, it's it's not a secret that NHL players don't give it their all every single game. Uh, I, I think two years ago, I went to, went to Buffalo and watched a Buffalo-Washington game in mid-January, and um, it was on a Sunday, and uh, it was painfully obvious that Ovechkin just did not care during that game. He ended up scoring a goal, which is classic Ovechkin style, but he coasted around the red line for about 90% of it. And so just even things like that, where you just dock a guy's minutes a couple a couple nights in a row and just take him, tell him to take it easy until, you know, it means a little more, uh, I think we'll see. But it's definitely something that uh, the schedule is going to be something to keep an eye on because um, it, it's hard to predict exactly how it's going to affect teams. Yeah, and I, I think also to the point of uh, of younger teams having the edge because of that late season wear and tear, um, there's the opposite argument that a lot of these veteran players have had significant time off that they have not had in several years. Uh, like, I kind of think of a guy who's probably not going to be in the playoff picture, but I think of a guy like Eric Carlson in San Jose who hasn't had that chance to recover in God knows how long. Uh, he now had had that opportunity to take nine months or whatever it was, get himself back in game shape. Ovechkin had his Stanley Cup hangover. Uh, actually, I don't know if he gets hangovers, but you know what I mean. Um, he had a, he he had his chance to get some extra time uh, to get himself in, in into gear, and I think for a lot of those veteran guys too, that might even give them that early season wind uh, for them to to rack up some of those early standing points too. So I think there's a bit of a push and pull there, uh, where there are some advantages to being uh, the younger guy, uh, and there are some advantages to being the veteran who's now getting um, the opportunity to feel young again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've given two now, and you know, Jeff. So let's go to Chase. Chase, is there anything you are keeping an eye on this year, just in terms of the NHL? Uh, the thing I want to keep an eye on most is home ice advantage. So for those who don't know, obviously home teams win across like all of major league sports more often than the away teams. But there's been a lot of papers written about this, and the reason a lot of people think why home teams have an advantage isn't anything magical about being at home, but rather that um, it's a result of referee bias, which is a function of crowd noise. So without the crowds, people were talking about how maybe a home ice advantage will disappear in the COVID-19 game situations. And if you look at the NFL, home teams didn't win any more than away teams. So I'm really wondering if home ice advantage disappears in the NHL here. That's an interesting one. I, I looked at that uh, during the bubble. I don't have the exact numbers on hand, but I know there was uh, there was research done into that in Bundesliga uh, when, because uh, they were, they were one of the first sports leagues to come back from COVID uh, in a no fan sort of situation. And the results there kind of lean the same way that, uh, that some ref bias kind of, went away. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case in the NHL, because I think the NHL has such a culture of evening up calls 
Um, there's not really a rhyme or reason to, to it other than making sure that you don't look like you've called one team more than the other. Uh, and I think there's also the advantage that the NHL has that uh, you have things like glass change and, and bench distance and stuff like that. Um, those, for me, kind of play more uh, into that advantage than, uh, than, than crowd effects or refereeing effects. But I could see those being uh, factors as well. So I, I think that's a very good point, Chase, uh, that, um, that we could see uh, a difference in how that home advantage occurs over the course of this year. Yeah, I think the NBA, uh, it's still super early on, but they're uh, pretty heavily favored on the away team so far. And and um, it's so early into the year that a lot of that can just be variance, you know, and, mm-hmm. and even just over the course of a full season. I mean, stuff happens, right? You know, like it, it, you want multiple seasons of data, which uh, hopefully we don't actually get for this situation because uh, that would mean multiple seasons with no fans in the stands. But um yeah, it's one of those things that I definitely think, um, at the very least, might have a slight advan or slight uh, uh, difference on the game. But uh, just with the NHL and just you know, how great point on on the refs and how it seems to be just usually keep it as close as possible for no good reason. Uh, it might not have as much of effect as you think it really should. Like if you thought about it logically, it would absolutely make sense. Where it's like, um, you know, there's there's less pressure to call. On a, on a home team or against a home team, I should say. and um, But, you know, sometimes in the NHL, that's just, it's not how it works. You can give the most obvious penalty and feel like because now one team's up two power plays, you need to even it out a little bit and just call a chintzy little slash. So um, it's going to be something that'll be really interesting to keep an eye on, especially because, um, you know, for stuff that doesn't always get talked about as much, but for for things like betting markets as well, because uh, there's there's slight prediction put into models. I, I think uh, Dom Lechizian had his at a 5% swing for, for his model for home ice and uh you know this year it'll be interesting to see if they put that swing in when they're when they're considering things like probabilities too right so yeah no for for sure and really i think that's kind of the theme of this year in a way is that this is all just going to be a big lab experiment for so many of the questions we've had about the game yeah absolutely i agree um uh, i'll keep it going with uh, another division one uh the other division i'm curious to see um Maybe not from a viewing standpoint, but just what actually happens is team number four in the West. So uh, for those who don't know, the West Division has three really, really good looking teams. And it's got the Colorado Avalanche, the St. Louis Blues and the Vegas Golden Knights. After that, it takes a pretty hefty drop off, I would say. There's a a couple other teams. Uh, Minnesota's in there. San Jose might be in there. Uh, Arizona, maybe. Uh, and then there's L.A. and Anaheim, which uh, you can toss in there as well. Um, you know, Chase and I have kind of both said that, you know, I know where Chase stands. on. I'll let him go over his thoughts on, on uh, sorry, not Winnipeg, on Minnesota again. But, um, you know, I, I'm curious to get your opinion too, Jeff. Is there uh, a really obvious team four in the West like, well, like a Minnesota here? Or do you think it's going to be up for grabs? And even more so, uh, the team that does grab it, do you think they're going to have a legitimate shot in the playoffs? Or is it going to be... Um, you know, to the to a certain degree, anyways. Or do you think it's going to be more first round fodder for whoever gets the, the the first seed? To be honest, if you would have asked me this question 24 hours ago, I would have had a different answer than I do now. Um, watching Minnesota last night, man, Kirill Kaprizov is good, uh, and I mean, we knew this. Uh, those who followed his play in Russia knew that he had the talent, but there's always a question of how uh, it translates. But man, he had a night yesterday. And for his first NHL game, 23 years old, so it's not a case of a veteran kind of jumping over and seeing if it if it meshes out. He's still reasonably young. 
if he can give some excitement to a team that's historically been pretty dull, uh, that would be uh, that'd be a game changer for them and put them in a position to be the secure four seed and possibly do some damage uh, in in the postseason. Um, I, I do still think San Jose is a little bit better than what last year was. I don't think they could they could get any worse uh, in between the pipes than they were last year. Um, no disrespect to Martin Jones, all disrespect to his performance last season. Uh, Devin Dubnik should be a uh, upgrade for them. Uh, this year, and that might make a difference. And like I mentioned before, a healthy Carlson, arrested Burns, rested Couture, so on and so forth. Um, it's it, it's intriguing. I do think uh, that you're correct about it being a pretty secure one, two, three seed. I'd almost say more secure one, two with Vegas and Colorado duking it out. I'm not as high on St. Louis as most people are, but I can see why they're still uh, in the conversation. Um, but now, now I'm genuinely curious about Minnesota if Kaprizov can be the impact player uh, that he showed is at least potentially possible last night. Yeah, both both him and Fiala looked really, really good last night. And if those two guys are legitimate impact players up front, this makes this team um, more dangerous and, frankly, way more exciting too. I I don't know why, but I bothered to tune in the last 10 minutes of a Minnesota-LA Kings game last night because that's how starved I was for hockey. And uh, it honestly wasn't that bad. I was like, oh my God, Like that's more Minnesota games that I've watched voluntarily than probably the past four years combined. So um, yeah, if I know Ch- I'll let Chase talk about this a little bit too, but if Kaprizov can be someone dangerous, that, that gives this team a whole new element to it that they've been lacking. Yeah, and I, I agree with what Jeff said, where you can be slightly high, even though it's just one game, you can be slightly higher on them, just seeing Kaprizov do well, because there's always such a large amount of uncertainty. Like, even though Kaprizov's, like, NHLE was, like, 70 points, it's really, really dicey to bank on that to translate. So it's nice to see him actually have a fantastic game, and it's a great sign for them going forward. Yeah, like, he immediately looks like their first like impact all offense players since Marion Gabryk. And that, uh, for those who forget, that's like 10 plus years ago now. Uh, so to see someone uh, kind of light up a highlight reel like that uh, in such a way is awesome. And, and yeah, it's, it's hard to project these guys as they translate leagues. Uh, obviously KHL forwards are a little bit easier to figure out than defensemen who are basically a crapshoot. Um, but you, you still got to put it up before you get uh before you, you get the credit, we've seen cases like Steve Moses and Ily Toivinen, uh, uh, who haven't, who didn't quite translate to the to the levels that people thought they'd be. Uh, so if he can keep this up, and again, you even just uh, that that overtime goal where he gets that poke, gets around Doughty, and I don't know if he did that kind of kick thing on purpose. If he did, then oh my god. If not, it was still. Uh, it was still a gutsy effort. Like just kind of seeing that impact uh, look like that's the kind of debut you get from a star level player. Obviously one game sample is small, but I think that's the most excited you could be about a Minnesota player in half of our lifetimes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't like he legitimately him. And even just the, the thought of adding Marco Rossi to that team, probably not yeah. this year, but next year at some point, like that actually might make me tune into Minnesota games, which I have been just adamantly against for years, just because I find it so boring. But, um, you know, uh, that, like it, it's really good for, uh, 
a spot like that because they have a great fan base too, you know, like, um, and it feels like they've just never really been rewarded with a, a really good, exciting team. They've just been one of those teams that have, have always been on the bubble. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to change, but hopefully if they add some star talent, they that, that definitely can. Um, Jeff, was there another thing that you're looking forward to, uh, or keeping an eye on in any of these divisions this year? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to pick. Uh, at, at this point, it's it's ultimately just down to the uh, to to the chaos of it all. Um, I I I guess one thing, kind of going back to the COVID point, is I want to see how long it, the teams that decided to have fans uh, last. Like I was watching highlights of the uh, the Arizona game yesterday and watching the crowd react to uh, to to Castleton in the game. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know how many people should be in there right now. They had like five or six thousand people. I know. Um, Melnick had brought up wanting to do the same in Ottawa to see if that actually happens. It just it, it kind of it kind of feels early for that, and I wonder how long it takes for teams to kind of uh, uh, switch switch away. Like I know the NFL uh, has managed to to get through most of the season okay, but they also have bigger stadiums, and their stadiums are mostly outdoors, whereas it's a little bit more condensed in uh, NHL ranks and uh, you're working in indoor environments. So uh, that's a, that's kind of a weird one to pull up, but that's also something that kind of stuck in my mind, kind of skimming through yesterday's games. Yeah. And the weirdest thing to me is going to be, you know, seeing when Dallas comes back, they literally had to postpone three of their games because of COVID cases. And I'm pretty sure they're one of the teams that are allowed to have about 6,000 fans in their building. It's yeah. like, it's like, okay, so you're postponing it because you have to postpone your own games because so many of your guys got this. But now you're saying, let's just not pack, obviously, but let's put, you know, five or 6,000 people in this building. Like the logic just seems really backwards there. Yeah. It's a, it's a third of capacity. Like when you, when you think of it that way, that's, that's kind of concerning. Like I, I think 6,000 was the number that the Bills had for their, for their playoff game last week. And that's a 70,000 seat outdoor stadium. So you're if you're you're putting one person per every ten seats. You can you you can kind of bunch individuals and families together, but give lots of room between those pockets. Here it's like I I don't know if six thousand is even much more than the six feet. That uh, it seems really risky to me for what I can imagine amounts of that much gate revenue. Like we're talking a couple million dollars. Which hey, don't get me wrong. I mean a couple million dollars probably life changing to most of us. Uh, but it's probably not for a lot of NHL owners. It just kind of feels like playing with fire um, and uh, possibly being liable, maybe not legally, but liable morally for uh, for something a little too risky. Yeah, absolutely. Chase, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree with Jeff, although I kind of had the same concerns with like with the NFL, and there are many reasons why the NFL works better, obviously. Bigger stadiums, like you said, outdoor stadiums or whatever. But we've kind of seen a lot of leagues just sort of soldiering on, and I'm sort of scared the NHL is just going to soldier on, basically, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I think just at this point, they've made it pretty clear now that they've started, they're not going to want to stop, right? And uh, Batman did his media tour this past week, and 
the one thing he really hammered home was the league is losing more money playing than they would if they just canceled. And and they're really good guys. And, you know, and a lot of that's just I, I do understand, you know, if you could just not pay any of your players or workers salaries. Yeah, you're probably not losing that much money. But the idea of taking a full year break while every other league is playing um, is just so much more detrimental to the long term health of your game yes. anyways. So. Right. And you're but and you're punting your advertising deals and you're punting your TV deal, especially your American TV yeah. deal that I believe only has one year left and you want to get your yeah. big raise. Like it, it would have been suicidal for them to uh, to cut it off. And everybody with a brain knows that. So I felt like such an empty phrase for him to to bring up. Yeah, exactly. And that's just kind of where it's like with Batman. It's like, oh, my God, would you just be quiet? Because it's like. You could make a point about it, about, like, yeah, how it, it's definitely obviously not great for them either. But, like, yeah, just he uh, he was on overdrive when I was listening to him. And I think he repeated three different times that he was like, no, we're, we're, we're losing more, but we're doing it for the fans. It's like, no, like, and just and that's what kind of frustrates me as an NHL fan is, like, sure, maybe a casual fan who doesn't care to think about it, because why would you, uh, is going to take that and be like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But anyone who pays somewhat attention to it knows you're just lying. And that's kind of the thing. But definitely with the trucking on thing, you know, I think now that they've started the season, I really don't see them stopping unless they absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. And considering, you know, like I can just personally see them taking, even if they, if it got so bad, they would still probably take two weeks off and then go to a bubble and finish their season, a bubble if they really had to. So, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to that point, you know, fingers crossed that, uh, as vaccines keep on rolling out, you know, um, obviously they are not going to skip the line, you know, they have to wait until all the frontline workers and people get it. But, uh, you know, hopefully it just doesn't get to that point this year. Yeah, I, I saw the Johnson & Johnson vaccine got approved yesterday, and that's the big mainstream one. So that that should kind of open things up for close to the end of the year. Uh, that should be the point where they're going to get uh, themselves in line. So fingers crossed that they can at least get to that stage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chase, do you have any uh, other thing you're keeping an eye on this year? Yeah, another one that's kind of more general Uh we kind of touched on it at the start with uh, making like lineup adjustments where Jeff talked about how Toronto can put in certain defensemen, whether you need the puck mover, if you want someone tough in front of the net or whatever. For a long time, obviously stars have been the ones who generally win hockey games in the NHL. But I wonder if the way this season's going with how fast paced it is and with the potential for multiple guys being out with COVID and the correlation of risks there, if this is the first year in a while that we see depth being better than star power in the regular season. It's tricky. I could kind of, I could kind of see it going either way. Um, yes, having a lot of available talent uh, in your system uh, to to keep the lineup filled is going to be important. But at the same time, when you're on the ice, uh, especially as these teams game plan against each other, having separating talent is going to play a huge difference. So. Yeah, at a, at a, there's going to be a point where a team's missing like eight guys because three of them are injured and five of them are on COVID protocol. And it'll matter that the third pairing guy can actually play in the NHL instead of being like your AHL number four. Uh, but if you if it's a team that you're playing your seventh or eighth game against and it's a familiarity thing, um, I think that kind of gives a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews or an Ethan McKinnon uh, that much more of an edge because if you both have each other figured out, he st he still knows how to get around you. Uh, so the, I, I think that's another one of those things where you have a push and pull. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll go right in the middle. I definitely think depth is going to be much more important this year than in years past for for the regular season, for sure. But, uh, you know, we saw just last night Connor McDavid at a hat trick and just he lit up the uh, the Vancouver Canucks and, you know, made them look silly at times. And that's still what's going to win out, I think, for, for a lot of hockey games. But uh, it also depends on the team, too, right? Like, uh, if you're a team like Toronto, obviously your star players are going to be much more important than your depth. But if you're a team like Columbus, I mean, yeah, you need your star players. But we saw last year that they got by with a lot of depth. And that could be the same this year, too, where it's uh, if you have uh, actual cup aspirations, I think you're still going to need your your star players to be the star players. But if you're maybe more of a, a chippy team that's kind of in that eight to 10 range in the playoff race or whatever, uh, or I guess this year it'd be three and four in a division or whatever. But, um, you know, that that's maybe when the, the depth can really take over and become more of an important role, like Chase said. Um, my other one, I, I would, uh, there's no way I could have Jeff on the podcast and not ask him a Toronto question. And this works both uh, well for both of you because you both cover Toronto uh, and, you know, watch a lot of their games. Uh, the, the one thing I want to talk about, it's it's more narrative-based, I think, than anything else. But, and uh, just, you know, maybe it turns into luck, but, um, you know, how, how do you think Toronto's going to deal with the pressure this year? Uh, I think that it's been maybe overblown that the, the team fails under pressure. I, I feel like that was a big thing I, I heard a lot in the Toronto media last year. And sometimes maybe it made sense, but other times I think it was just bad luck. But uh, I think Toronto is pretty unanimously the first place pick in this division. Just especially on paper, you look at their team and, and they are the most, you know, the, the best team on paper. I, I don't think there's anything around that. But, you know, with the 56 game season and just, you know, a younger core still, uh, how do you think Toronto's going to just adjust to this pressure? Do you think it's going to affect them at all this year? I mean, being in Toronto always creates uh, an element uh, of pressure, for better and worse. Like, whenever I, uh, I flip on my Twitter timeline and someone's like, oh, well, lo- look how biased TSN is. It's like 17 Leaf stories. Uh, you see every Toronto person who's just like, oh, God, why is there 17 Leaf stories? Or this is this is ridiculous, too. We hate it more than out-of-market people hate it. It's it's overbearing at it, at its minimum. Um but at the same time, like you kind of look at this team and they've been successful in the regular season over the past four years. They've played against two of the the, the toughest teams in, in the league in Tampa and Boston and still kind of kept up with them in the divisional races. I think they have like the eighth best record in the last uh, four years. And then you go down through the playoff losses and yeah, obviously four first round bumps in a row is not going to uh, inspire too many people, but you go through them and it's like, okay, Washington the team wasn't ready yet. Boston the first time they got ridiculously outcoached. It was plain as day. Uh, third time around, goaltending wasn't great. They played. You could argue that they outplayed Boston in that series. The Columbus series, I, I think it was very obvious that they were the better team, but they just weren't getting the shooting lock that they they needed. This, this isn't a team that hasn't necessarily risen to the occasion. They just kind of haven't had their moment yet. And we've seen teams just not break through for a little bit and then burst out. Look at how the LA Kings kind of pocket dynasty started. They were an underachieving team for years, and all of a sudden they were steamrolling their way to the Stanley Cup. Uh, This is a very fickle and luck-driven league. Um, And Toronto has the advantage right now where they have both um, immense star power. They have four um, star to superstar uh, level forwards. They have two... Uh, star-level defenseman and Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin. Uh, we'll see if uh, Frederick Anderson can get back to uh, being an above-average starting goalie. 
uh, and all that is is great for them. And then you look at how they've built themselves this minor league system uh, where they have options that are at least capable of playing NHL minutes um, in basically every position right now. So they, they, they can go through those stretches of injuries, COVID, et cetera, um, and, and, and adjust accordingly. Uh, they now have a full year of having Sheldon Keefe behind the behind the bench, which they did not have last year. I feel like a lot of people underestimate the difference between the Leafs with Keefe last year and the Leafs, how they started the year uh, in the last days of Mike Babcock. Um, most of their metrics at the coaching change and forward uh, were in the upper echelon of the league. And, and that's without a lot of time to adjust. You're kind of seeing the system uh, take more... Uh, Hold now they were much more aggressive on, on pucks and they were and they were much more engaged in the play uh, against Montreal in the season opener than uh, than you've seen from them in previous years. It looked a lot more like a really really good version of Keith Marley's teams. Um, not when it wasn't a mind blowing night for them, but you at least saw the elements of what uh, they're trying to build here. So I mean, pressure is always going to be there. Uh, and that's the reality of the market. There will never be a relaxed uh, situation here. This team could break through, win three cups in a row, and there'd be pressure to win the fourth. Um, they could go 50, uh, They can go 16-1, and one, and they'd ask for 16-0 and 0 the next year. Uh, but that's just kind of something you have to play through. And at this point, I think the talent is still there for them to, to, to break through and go on a serious run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's on paper. I just I don't think there's any argument that they're not the best team in this division. Um, 56 game season, obviously anything can happen. And and you just outline, you know, what happens in the playoffs. Sometimes you just come against a, a hot goalie in someone like Corpus Allo, who you don't even expect him to be that out of a goalie. He posted 970 over three or four or five games in Toronto and then another two or three in Tampa, you know? Like, yeah. it, so, I, uh, you know, it happens. And and I think just, you know, with the pressure thing, uh, you, you outlined the playoff series. And I, I obviously, uh, they outperformed in 2016 when they made it to play against Washington. Uh, you know, the next year against Boston, I think they still you know, either outperformed or performed up to their abilities in the regular season where they were very comfortably the third best team. And, and you know, some people might have said that, but it wasn't a given going into the year. And then, uh, you know, the year after that, I, I think they kind of performed right where they were. And, yeah, they lost to Boston in seven, but that Boston team also went all the way to the Stanley Cup finals mm-hmm. and lost in seven games too, right? It's not like they, they lost to this bum team that got destroyed in the next round. And, exactly. uh, yeah, last year, I mean, it was an up-and-down year. And, uh that's going to come when you have a coach firing halfway through it and, uh, you know, a new system being involved. And yeah, I, I think it, uh, it was a surprise to me that they didn't beat Columbus. But again, when you go and look and see that their goaltending was nine fifty two or whatever it was through a five game sample, it's like, well, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to explain why they didn't beat a team. Right. So, um, I am interested to see just, you know, how this year goes because, uh, for any really Canadian team, you know, any of the big three or four that that are in this division making play, I, I mean, I'd argue there's five teams. We can go through this if you want, but uh, you know, there, there's a couple, uh, definitely a couple teams in this Canadian division that are going. There's a path enough here for us to take a little bit of a run, right? Because you know, you, you win, you win around, you win in the second round, and suddenly you know, you're in the semifinals against teams that have, you've never played this year. So, you know, anything can happen. And if you're there, why not go further? But, uh, yeah, it'll be a really interesting thing to see. Chase, do you have any thoughts on the Toronto team this year? You know, anything, do you think the pressure thing's just a narrative or do you, um, is there anything to it? I mean, it's playing in Toronto. Like, I'm sure there's always something to it. There is way more pressure on them than 
basically anywhere else in the NHL. Although I kind of want to get your thoughts on the reverse of the pressure. And obviously the first year where Matthews and Marner and Nylander played, the Leafs were consistently underrated. You had Jeff championing, championing the, uh, the Leafs are actually good hashtag. He was getting killed for until their actual metrics caught up with their underlying numbers. But then ever since, I think this is time and you guys could be like the inside view and the outside view for me here is this time since then the Leafs have actually been like underrated generally because I think they're far and away the best team in the division and I'm not sure that's like a massive consensus yeah no it really doesn't seem like it's a consensus especially these past few weeks it feels like at some point um there, there there was like a group of people who decided okay we need to put Montreal in this conversation and then they kind of work backwards uh to, to say why um, I had mentioned this uh, the other day on Twitter. Uh, I remember when the, when the Max Domi for Josh Anderson trade was made. And I remember being like, Oh, this is really good for Montreal. I think this is a great deal. Uh, I think Anderson's an upgrade on Domi. And I got a lot of like, what are you talking about? Really? And then you look at TSN's preseason um, poll and that trade is now listed as the best trade of the summer. And it was just like, okay, where did this come from? Um, and you think back and it's like, okay, well, everyone's now suddenly saying Montreal and it's kind of hard to figure out why. And then it's like, okay, everyone's kind of betting on Carey Price to go back to 2015 Carey Price. I know Craig Custins had an article in The Athletic where he was tier ranking goaltenders and he was talking about how NHL executives were still putting him as the best goalie in the world uh, when he finished like 17th in save percentage last year and hasn't had an elite season since like 2017 or something like that. Not that Carey Price is a bad goaltender. I think he's still an above average goaltender in this league, but there's this weird expectation that just because he has uh, the star power and this technical brilliance to him, there's no denying the, the eye test on Carey Price um, that he is going to figure this out eventually kind of disqualifying the fact that he's 32 and it's possible that maybe he, this is just where he is now. Um, then there was all the hype during the play-in round about how they beat Pittsburgh, who didn't look all that great. But once they started hyping up the whole Trident thing um, with, uh, with Weber, Sherrod, and um, probably Petrie, I don't even remember if they considered Petrie part of that thing. There was just kind of this weird need to explain why that worked. And it almost dismissed everything about their season going into the into the playoffs. Uh, I feel like a lot of people forget that there was a distinct possibility if they waited one more day to postpone the season that Montreal would not have even been in there. I bring yeah. this up a lot. They were about to face the Sabres the night of the postponement. If the Sabres win that game, they're in the play-ins and the, and the Habs aren't. And this narrative completely changes. Uh, the the the. The, the Habs become the, I think, 24th or 25th seed in the league. They don't make the playoffs. They don't win the play-ins. They might still make these upgrades, but they're not suddenly considered um, uh, a battle for uh, a serious contender for the division lead. There's still people who kind of put Vancouver in that conversation. As someone who also likes and follows the Canucks, I would love to believe that. Uh, but they lost a lot of players to a divisional rival specifically. Um, I, 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 guess, I guess multiple divisional rivals. They lost a bunch to Calgary and they lose to Foley to Montreal. Um, so that doesn't really help their case. And I don't know how far that um, Hughes, Pedersen, and the goaltenders um, can really carry them. Uh, but uh, there is the chaos of the division still. I think from a technical sense, it's almost impossible to pick anyone other than, than Toronto as a safe bet to win the division. 
but there's also six teams who realistically could. I think anyone other than uh, than Ottawa, unfortunately for them, um, is very much capable of it. And even them, like they could have a 2013 Leafs run and crazy things can happen. Uh, but I, I would agree with the idea that Toronto was almost underrated at this point as a counter reaction um, to the so-called pressure and hype. People get sick of hearing about the most popular team, the most po- the biggest fan base, so on and so forth. Um, they almost take it out on them. Uh, when you look at when you look at the actual roster and the star power that they have and the kind of game that they're they're working towards, if you copy and pasted their roster and you put it in a more likable market, I think they'd be a lot more respected than they are now. And I mean that's okay. That's the nature of of being a fan, but the reality is still there. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we got to Montreal because they were on my list next about what I want, the team I wanted to talk about. And the thing that I, I go back and forth on them, I think right now I have them fourth in the division. That being said, I, I kind of have them tiered. I think Toronto is the obvious best team. I kind of like Calgary as the second and, and maybe Edmonton there is three. I have kind of my order is kind of that's, Toronto, that's Calgary. Yeah, and then Edmonton and, and Montreal, and then I got Vancouver at five right on the edge, and then I'm lower on Winnipeg just because, you know, I think if Hellebuck regresses even just a little bit, that team's in a lot of trouble because he was amazing last year, and it still was barely enough to get them to the playoffs. But um, the, the thing that frustrates me with Montreal is is people who want to say that they're this really good team, uh, to me, aren't even crediting why they could be a really good team, and that's their two young centers that really came through in the bubble. Part of the reason they looked like such a different team in the bubble is because Nick Suzuki and uh, Jesperi Kukniemi looked like legitimate, like, number two centermen, which uh, helps you when you have Philip Deneau, who's a solid 1C. If you have two 2Cs playing your second and third role, suddenly you have really good center depth that you can match up all the way up and down. And, and that's why I think if they're going to be a really good team this year, it's got to be those two kind of driving it forward and improving more and, and being the players it looked like they played like in the bubble last year, you know? Um, And that's why it's just like when people talked about Montreal, it's like, yeah, they, they flaunt their defense core or whatever. It's like, I don't think they're like their defense core is fine, but it's also like walking on needles a little bit too, you know, like Weber's a year older, Petrie's a year older. And I love those guys, but you know, like they signed Joel Edmondson, who I don't think is a very useful NHL defenseman. So it's just like, and the carry pricing, you go back and forth. Uh, I talked to Andrew Berkshire a couple of weeks ago on my other podcast and, you know, he made a good point of, of Price doesn't know when to sit. You know, he likes to play through injuries and, and the team needs to stop him from that, but they haven't. Um, so the, hopefully this year with Jake Allen, they can do that. So Price gets a little better, but just penciling him in to be a top three goalie in the league is is uh, stupid at this point, frankly, because we, we, we haven't seen that in four years. So I, I like the Montreal team. I just It frustrates me that the people who seem to want to put them in the division lead credit the completely wrong things. And I think even having them that high is pretty aggressive too. I, I think they're a good team, but they're clearly a step below the, the top of this division. Yeah. For them to be in that conversation, literally every single thing has to hit. There is an upside that can put them there, but like Druin has to have a better year. Suzuki has to be like he was in the bubble. Toffoli has to be as good as he was in the Vancouver half of this season. Kokaniemi needs to be like he was in the bubble. Evans needs to stay healthy. Dano needs to be as good as he was last year. The overall finishing talent has to has to keep up. Petrie, Sherrod, and Weber all need to stay healthy. Edmondson needs to bounce back. Romanov needs to uh, needs to be a solid rookie, and Price needs to go back to Price. Lots of those things can happen. I don't get me wrong. All of those things are possible, and lots of them could happen in tandem. They need most, if not all of them, to happen to 
gain a gain a firm hold of the division, especially when you're comparing to a team that, in a sense, already has a lot of those things. Like you had mentioned, hey, maybe Suzuki and Kokoniemi gives them uh, gives them a nice three three tiered center th- uh, arrangement going on. But they're also trying to compete against a team that has arguably two uh, centers that are somewhere between the top five and top 15 in the league. And then guys who have been there before um, and, and kind of know how to support. Um, it's, it's a, it's a tricky uphill battle um, and they're capable of it. It just seems like there's a lot of betting going on right now that every single thing hits. And that's, that's difficult for me. My, my uh, rankings for the season are the exact same as yours, Alex, for the, for the North division one through seven, I think we're, entirely on the same page i'm also low on winnipeg because i don't know if they have a good defenseman uh like bluntly i think when you when you talk about um say toronto's uh defense and how everyone forever was like oh they need to trade a top forward for a defenseman i think that describes winnipeg right now more than anybody um like josh morrissey might be something but that's really where it kind of where it kind of tapers from there guys like Demello and peeling are they're they're fine, but they're not guys that you want to put a, put the risk of playing them in huge minutes. Um, and then once you get below those three, it's it's just like open season. We're talking barely NHLers at that point, um, so they're in a tough spot. Uh, but yeah, it's it's such a confounding thing with Montreal. It's just there's there's a very very high optimism uh, based probably I would think just in that playing series. Um, that's the only reason it seems like they, everyone thinks that they can achieve all of them. Um, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited to see what happens, but it's not, it's a lot of counting chickens before they're hatched. Yeah, absolutely. And to Chase's point originally, I definitely agree that uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are probably just underrated. And I think a lot of that is just how much people talk about them, you know, and it's going to happen when year after year, you know, I mean, Chase and I have been uh, factors in this too. You know, I think me and Chase have predicted, you know, Toronto does a little more in the past two years and two or th- even three years, you know, I, I think going into the season, it's like, yeah, this could be a year where they make some noise and just, they haven't been able to in the playoffs yet. And some of that, you know, may be their fault. Some of it's not really. And that's just how it goes. But, you know, people naturally will get tired of hearing about it. But the the thing that always amazes me, and I've said it a couple times now, is it's it's frankly insane that uh, a first overall pick who is a top five center player, honestly, in the league, makes $11.6 million and plays top line in the league's biggest market is somehow underrated. But that's how we, I, I honestly feel like that's the point we've got to with Austin Matthews because it's, he's that good and he doesn't get the credit. It's crazy. Like he is, he's the best five on five goal scorer of this generation at minimum. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a player who's just that talented at putting the puck in the net. Uh, at even strength, it's it's incredible what he does there. He's strong two ways. He can he can skate well. He he's good at cycling. Like there's so many elements to his game. But again, it's kind of to the point where uh, that 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 you mentioned with, with with the team being underrated because of saturation. Like yeah, it's been like three years in a row now where people have been like, oh, this could actually be the year for them, and then they haven't won around. Same kind of thing goes for Matthews, where it's like, hey, this could be his year to take a run at the Rocket, um, and then he gets injured or the season gets cut off. I think he had a genuine chance of uh, closing out the year and and catching up to Pasternak, Dreisaitl, and Ovechkin uh, last season. And I, I have him as the favorite to do it this year. And I get people get kind of sick of that. They just don't. They don't need to hear it all the time. And I don't blame them. But you can't really let uh, market saturation influence your 
your opinion of the players. Like if you're if you're overwhelmed by the coverage, don't look at it. <laughs> like bluntly, like if I, I if I don't want to be overwhelmed by TSN, Sportsnet, etc., uh, flooding me of every nuanced detail uh, of the Maple Leafs after a game, I don't look at them the day after a game. I'll go back a few days later and pick out um, what people have said are the useful articles. You we're in this great era where we can choose uh, our coverage more so than ever before and get get it from the sources that we trust and we're still kind of sitting there wondering why the, the why, why the the lowest common denominator kind of mainstream uh people aren't curating to our exact beliefs and it sways how we think about players and it's and, and teams and it's not just uh it's not just the, the maple leafs the maple leafs are the obvious example in the Canadian contingent of the NHL, but you ask an American fan and they'll tell you the same thing about Pittsburgh and Washington. You ask an, uh, a baseball fan and tell you the same thing about the Yankees. An NFL fan will say the same thing about the Cowboys, so on and so forth, the NBA fans, the Lakers. It's, it's just the reality of being a mega market team. Um, and until they do something with it, that's going to kind of be the reality. The team needs to make uh, a run to kind of get these, uh, get, get it accepted that it makes sense. It needs to be a hard trophy caliber year for Matthews. And I mean, he's kind of starting to knock on that door, but he hasn't broken through it yet. It needs to be a president's trophy or conference final year for the Leafs or people to be like, okay, fine. I get it. Uh, not everyone is looking at the underlyings or looking at um, all the inner nuances of what this is about. They, they, it's a very put up or shut up situation in the mainstream. And I don't blame people. A lot, a lot of people are just, they're not, they're not dorks like us. They just want to sit there, put the game on at seven o'clock and, uh, and enjoy it. And the intermission panels and the traditional websites are enough for them. So I get where, where it gets here, but when you actually look at these guys and this team, uh, the Leafs are a very good competitive team that could, uh, could make a serious run. And yeah, I think there's a very real case that Austin Matthews could be the second best player in the world by the end of this year. Yeah. And I mean, the the only other thing I'd have to say about uh, um, people complaining about the, the coverage, you know, that, that sites like TSN give is uh, it's really not that hard to go find coverage of your own team somewhere, you know, yeah. like a, a simple Google search of uh, Vancouver Canucks uh, article or whatever will bring you to their, you know, SB Nation blog or or even just some like, you know, a blog like the ones we're chasing. I'm right. I last word on hockey, you know, it'll take you to whatever's relevant to, to other things and you can find it there. And I get some people don't want to do that. But honestly, you know, if you're going to go on and take two minutes to complain online about how many leaf leaf coverage there is, take the two minutes and just go Google something that, you know, you're going to go read anyways. Right. So, um, yeah, um, that, I think that's a all lot I have to read. Yeah, I think a lot of it is it, it be, becomes a matter of the teams becoming people uh, becoming part of people's identity, and when their team gets slighted in coverage, it feels like a disrespect uh, to them. And I, I understand that it, it, it's it, it's kind of the reality of being uh, being a fan. Like we're we're it really is kind of weird how obsessive we all are about these the, the, the sports teams. But it's something we accept and we love and we're passionate about. Uh, but it's, it, it's important to separate that media coverage is not, it, it's not personal to you, both in the sense that it's not curated for your content and it's not a slight on you if they pick another team. It's them kind of reading the market and honestly just getting what, what gets clicks and views and make some money. And at the end of the day, the Toronto Maple Leafs make everybody money when they're talk, uh, they're talked about. 
Absolutely. Uh, Chase, did you have anything else on your list or any uh, thoughts on all that? No, I think that's pretty much it for me. Um, I guess one thing, you guys both said you have Calgary 2 in the division, correct? Yes. Yes. Like in the North Division? Okay, so I did 2. I just want to know why you guys do, because it was something I was really nervous of, because a lot of projections and stuff aren't nearly as high as Calgary, as high on Calgary as I am. How do you think you, how do you guys think they get it done? I personally, uh, you know, I've talked about this a lot because I've been one of the, I can't believe how low people are on Calgary, honestly. Like they had the same odds to win the cup as the Ottawa Senators a, a week ago. Like they were 20th in the league and Ottawa was 21st, like literally one point behind them. Um, I, I think the addition of Jacob Markstrom is going to be huge. Even if Markstrom's not as good as we think he, or as he showed last year, if he's even the ninth or 10th best goalie in the league, having that and Dave Riddich, who I still think is a, a 25 to 35 type guy where he's like a really good one B. Um, I, I think that's going to be huge. And I really think Johnny Goudreau bounces back this year. He had a, a miserable season last year, but um, everything we've seen before that shows that he's, you know, this 90 point player who, who can drive offense and be really strong. And, I don't see at 26 years old or 27 years old him just completely falling off a cliff for that. I think he's going to look good, and um, I like the depth they added. I think, you know, Josh Levo is a really smart depth piece who can kind of play your middle six there. Um, even a guy like Dominic Simon I think is pretty good. Uh, uh, I know, Chase, you're really high on Andrew Mangiapane. Um, you know, he, he looks good. Um, so I, I think that's kind of how they get it done. Um, I'm a little worried about their blue line. You know, Giordano's a year older, and uh, they really need someone like Anderson, uh, Hannafin, or uh, Valimaki to step up. And it's funny because I picture Hannafin as this, like, 27-year-old. The dude's still 22 years old. So, like, I get he might not grow a ton, but if, if those guys step up just even to the point where they're, like, third, number three or fours, and, you know, Anderson looks really good. I like him. I hope he can be a top-pair guy. I, that's just why I think they, they just have so much less holes than some of the other teams in this division. Yeah, I'm pretty much on board with everything Alex said. He be, you, you basically took my speech. Like, um, you, you look at Markstrom, and that was an MVP caliber player last year. He, the, the Canucks don't get to where they are without him, which is now it's really funny seeing Canucks fans be like, ah, whatever, it's no big loss. We'll take... Uh, 897 or whatever Braden Holtby any day uh even though a few months ago they were like oh yeah Markstrom should be in the heart conversation and they were right that time but now you know you when some, someone's gone they're junk that's just how fandom works David Riddich like like you mentioned is still a quality goaltender and then you look again at their depth I always believe in Josh Levo I think he's I shouldn't say always there was like a spell Earlier in his career, I was a little bit skeptical, but since he's made that NHL transition, uh, he's very strong on the half ball. He know he knows where to get on the ice. He's got a deadly shot when he uses it. He's willing to pass the puck. I, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what he does of a healthy season. Andrew Mangiapane, I've always liked what he brought at the AHL level, and now he's starting to find success uh, up top. Um, pretty much everyone on their roster is is an NHL quality guy. I mean, even even if they're still carrying Lucic's corpse, like he's doing it on the fourth line, uh, and that line doesn't necessarily have to play a lot of minutes when you've when you've got scattered good players across your top nine. Defense again, yeah, that's a bit of a concern. Going from uh, from Brody to Tanev might be uh, might not be the greatest decision, and I'm not a big Nikita Nesterov guy, but. 
Rasmus Anderson looks good. Mark Giordano is still Mark Giordano, no matter how old he is. Um, Hannafin, like you said, he's still young. He can still grow. I, I've never been as high on him as uh, his prospect uh, hype was, but I still think there's a, there's at least a little bit there. There's just there, there's enough around that roster that, that they can be competitive night in, night out. And with goaltending to kind of keep them in games, I think that's the most important part. And I'll also agree that Gaudreau, he has to be better than last year. Uh, there's too much talent in, in that player for it to, for that to be as the start of his decline. Yeah, well, and it's funny, even Lucic, like, uh, you know, his contract, it sucks. There's no way around that. But I think even him, he's found like kind of molded his game into uh, – a defensively responsible game. If you look at the underlying numbers anyways, over the past couple of years, uh, you just, as long as you accept what you're getting, he's a black hole offensively. You're not going to get the offense from him. And, but if you accept that, you know, his numbers have shown that he's been reasonably okay in a third or fourth line role defensively. And at this point, if you're Calgary, if that's the worst part of your forward core, you can work around that and really make it to your advantage. Right. So I, I definitely just, yeah, I think that they, they have a pretty good team. You know, they, they need Monaghan and Lindholm to step up. And Lindholm looked really good last night. Uh, he was one of the players that, you know, he had a couple of really n- nice passes, really smart plays. Mm-hmm. And so if, if he can take that extra step too, I think they get even better. But yeah, just generally speaking, Chase, I, I think for me anyways, um, you know, it's just kind of, I like their forward core a lot. Um, their defense has some holes, but I don't think it's the worst in the division and their goaltending, I think has an argument to be number one. It just depends how much you value uh, starter versus backup in this year. And then that'll pretty much be it for, you know, Connor Hellebuck versus the flames tandem. I would say, um, how about you chase? Like what, was there anything that we missed that you, why you have them a number two? Yeah, no, I basically, all that is just the Johnny Gaudreau bounce back is huge. Giordano could still be the best defenseman in the division. They're deep enough. I'm just I'm trying to find out why like the market is so low on these guys. It, it feels like it's almost the um, the reverse of the Montreal situation where they're where the things that need to go right are things that are more likely to go right. Like it's like proven superstars bouncing back from down years, but there's no confidence in it. Like I'm more willing to bet on Johnny Gaudreau going back to something closer to 99 point of two years ago, Gaudreau, than 58 point of last year, Gaudreau, uh, than I am to think that uh, that a third line center is going to be a first line center uh, without having proven it before. You know what I mean? Um, I I think it's just a matter of the tone and the fact that they didn't have um, a great bubble run. It's crazy what the last few games of a season can do to the mindset of a market, especially when you have to carry them for, for months on end. Uh, I think a lot of the conversations we're having about all 31 teams are going to be a lot different in even two or three weeks than they were uh, going into the start of the season. We've been so separated from a traditional hockey schedule that people's mindsets have not really had the time to adjust. For some, for some fans, they have not had hockey to talk about in their market for 10 months. For others, they've had only a handful of games uh, in that 10-month span. Even even a Tampa gets 20 games in 10 months, and that's less than you usually have. So uh, it, it definitely matters in the mindset. And uh, once everyone's kind of familiar with the routine uh, of the league again, it's going to be a different story. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, fairly or unfairly to Calgary, uh, they their stars aren't maybe as big as names. You know, like I think Johnny Goudreau's a legitimate superstar, but I don't know how many fans would uh, – 
you know, agree with that. Just casual fans, maybe if you, uh, you know, outside of the Calgary market. So that might play into it as well. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. That's a solid hour of uh, discussion. And I think we really hit on some big spots. So uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today and plug some stuff. Where can people find you and find your work? You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Vayette, J-E-F-F-V-E-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. And you can read me at faceoffcircle.ca. That's where I post most of my work. It's generally Leafs and Marley stuff this year. I kind of want to get back into that beat after kind of taking a few years of of relaxing on that. Uh, But I also post general hockey stuff as well, um, both in the NHL, AHL, sometimes a little bit elsewhere, just kind of whatever's on my mind. So, uh, so yeah, those are the two places where you're most likely to find me spewing something about the game that we all love. Yeah, go like uh, go check Jeff out, uh, especially on Twitter. He's a great follow uh, for Leafs and all, all kinds of stuff. Honestly, you're one of the guys that uh, you know. I find you, you tweet about all 31 teams, you know, fairly often, and I, I, I definitely learn stuff, you know, every week from you. So I uh, can't recommend following you enough. And, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We'll have you uh, have you on again at a later date too. Absolutely, and I appreciate the kind words. Thanks so much for having me. Huge thanks to Jeff for coming on the podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed that as much as we did. Chase and I really had a great time uh, uh, talking with him and, uh, yeah, just interviewing him. Definitely someone I want to have on again down the road. Um, And uh, speaking of guests, uh, that's something Chase and I want to try and do a little more this year, too. I think this is our uh, third year now of doing this podcast, and I can probably still count on two hands the amount of times we've had a guest on and the amount of guests we've had. I think it's probably up to six or seven guests for eight or nine times now total and uh you know something we've talked about how that's maybe not enough you know we really want to expand a little bit more so um again i i always say you know i ask if, if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast you know let chaser i know you can find me on twitter at nhl sends and stuff and chase on twitter at cm hockey 66 you can also leave a comment or or a view or whatever on the podcast and i'm sure i'll see it as well but uh yeah if there's anyone you guys want to hear or you know, uh, really for any team, you know, let let us know because we're open to it. And, uh, you know, guess is something we want to do. It's, it's about obviously finding a line, but uh, I, I think a good formula could be every third or fourth week having a guest on, even if it's only for 20 or 30 minutes. And then, you know, a couple weeks where Chase and I talk about whatever we want to talk about. But uh, it's definitely something that we, we've been meaning to have more on. And now, you know, I think over the past six episodes two of them have been guests and that's kind of what i want to want to do going forward as well you know every every three or four we you know once a month for sure have someone on so um a huge shout out to jeff uh and i hope everyone enjoyed uh, chase and i will be back to a weekly podcast and just breaking down what it goes on through the year it's been exciting to actually have some hockey to talk about and uh and write about too you can find chase's work and my my own work at lastwordonhockey.com chase's had two new pieces out lately on uh one was looking at if lula morello is a good negotiator and another one was uh the one before that was setting the bar for what isn't a good negotiator so he used kyle dubas as an example and that was a really fun read so uh, i go suggest i suggest go checking those out uh you know all some stuff out on ottawa coming up as well and my other podcast uh, the last word on sends podcast uh, i've been doing that weekly as well so you can find that wherever you listen to this podcast as well as uh, lastwordonhockey.com and then you can find my other work at milehighhockey.com i'm gonna get back in avalanche writing and i'm super excited for it as well and I, i've had two posts come out this week on lastwordongaming.com so um 
uh, busy, busy time for content, and, you know, I think it's really good. It's exciting that the, the league's starting again, and, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and as I said, if there's anything you want to hear or anyone you want to hear on this podcast, uh, just give us a shout, uh, and thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.